Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. All right, friends, today's the feast day of Saint. Is anybody named Matthew? Do we have any Matthews in our school? Raise your hand nice and big if your name is Matthew. Do we have any Matthews? We are zero Matthews? That's amazing. Is that right, teachers? Any Matthews in your class? Wow. You got some pre-K Matthews? Okay. Well, for the pre-K Matthews, happy feast day to those pre-K Matthews. That's crazy. No Matthews. That's pretty wild. One back there? Right over here? All right. No? No? Yeah, okay, we got a pre-K Matthew. We got it. We're covered on that. Okay. We're all on the same page now. All right. So Feast of St. Matthew the Apostle. I, here's a few things I want to get into this morning. I think, number one, I think the story that we just heard, the calling of Matthew, I think it's an incredible example of our school theme this year, which is do whatever he do whatever he tells you. From John's Gospel, Jesus at the wedding feast of Cana, Mary tells the servants, do whatever he tells you, right? Do whatever he tells you. When we do whatever he tells us, incredible things happen. Our lives change. We start living this life of, of adventure, this life of abundance. That Jesus is not someone who takes life from us. He's not someone who makes our life boring. He is someone who magnifies our life. He's the one who transforms our life. That if our life was water before, it becomes wine. If our life was boring before, it becomes adventure, right? Right? If our life was an empty fishing net, it becomes a life filled with fish. That's the whole idea, right? Do whatever he tells you. Matthew, he's a tax collector sitting at the customs post. He's living a life of incredible sadness and isolation. Jesus says, follow me. And he gets up and he follows him, right? He does whatever he told him. So I want to back up, though, and, and I guess two things I want to look at, two questions I want to look at are, one, what was Matthew doing at the tax collect what, what was he doing at the tax collector's office in the first place? How did he get to that place, number one? And number two, what would it have meant for him to hear Jesus say, follow me? That's kind of what I want to look at this morning. So, what was he doing at that tax collector's booth? Because it's hard maybe for us to understand, but in the ancient world, in the world of ancient Judaism, Jesus' time, the world of the Bible, for a Jewish man like Matthew to be living a life, to have, for him to have the career of being a tax collector, it was so unimaginably awful. I don't mean it was like hard work. I mean it was like you were seen by all of your other Jewish brothers and sisters as someone who was like scum of the earth. You were an awful human being. You were not to be trusted. You were cut off. You didn't get to go to worship at the temple. You didn't get to have like relationships with your family anymore. People shunned you. They cut you out of their life. Why? Because the Jews at the time were under the power of the Roman Empire. So the Roman Empire was an occupying force that came to Judea and they were making the lives of God's people miserable. And part of the way they made their lives miserable was they taxed them. So whatever the Jewish people worked for, they had to pay a certain amount to, to the empire, to the emperor, to Rome. And how the Romans got the Jews to pay the taxes is they got other Jews to kind of work with them to become tax collectors. So if you were a tax collector, you were someone who was just seen as the scum of the earth. 
Now, I want you to realize this. Like, no one wakes up. There was no one in Jesus' day who woke up when they were like a little boy and thought, man, I hope to be a tax collector one day. No one was thinking, I hope that my life is miserable one day. I hope that I, I lose all my friends. I hope that I lose all my family. I hope that people hate me. No one thought that. How did Matthew get to that place? Well, we have to back up even further and understand kind of the culture of ancient Judaism. I need you guys to stay with me because this is going to get kind of nerdy. Can you handle some nerdiness this morning? Yes? Okay, stay with me. So in ancient Judaism, in Jesus' day, there wasn't really schools like what we have today. If you were a little Jewish boy, when you are around five, six years old, you went and began to study the Torah. The Torah. What's the Torah? The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. This is the first five books right here of the Bible. Right? You would go to what was called Bet Shafer. That was the name of the Jewish school, Bet Shafer. You would go to your local synagogue, and there a rabbi would begin to teach you. And by the end of that time of Bet Shafer, about 10, 11 years old, you had the entire Torah memorized. The first five books of the Bible, you had it word for word memorized. That's mind-blowing to me. 10 years old, raise your hand if you're 10 years old. Raise your hand if you're 10 years old. By the time Jewish boys and girls were 10 years old, your age, they had the first five books of the Bible word for word memorized. We got some catching up to do, people. We got some work to do. Teachers, pay attention. Here we go. Unbelievable. So at the end of that, see, at the end of that time, the rabbis, they would ask only the best of the best of their students to continue on to the next phase, which was called Bet Talmud. Say Bet Talmud. Bet Talmud. So if you were the best of the best, you got to move on to the next phase. And the next phase, you memorized not just the first five books of the Bible, you memorized the entirety of the Old Testament. This is the whole Old Testament right here. This huge chunk right here. Do you see that? Does that blow anybody's mind or is it just me? That blows my mind. Okay, so... You would study in Bet Talmud until you're about 16 years old. Now, mind you, what happened to the people that didn't get asked to move on? They were basically told, hey, you're, you're not good enough. Go back home and start learning the trade of your dad. If your dad's a fisherman, guess what you're going to be? A fisherman. If your, if your dad's a stonemason, guess what you're going to be? A stonemason. Go back home and start learning the trade of your father. We don't think you're good enough to keep going. So if you make it to Bet Talmud, you keep studying. At the end of Bet Talmud, what you would do is you would be quizzed, so to speak, by a very, various rabbis. So there was all these rabbis who were scholars of the law, and what they would do is they would quiz you to see how much you knew. And if they were impressed with your answers, you got to move on to the next phase, which was called Bet Midrash. Say Bet Midrash. So you learn all sorts of Hebrew this morning. Bet Talmud, Bet Midrash. You'd move on to Bet Midrash. If there were a hundred people who started off in that first class when you're six years old, maybe one of you would move on to Bet Midrash. Everyone else, go home. Go work with your dad. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Here's what I want you to try and begin to see and understand. Matthew, at some point in his life, Matthew was studying the Scriptures. And at some point in his life, some rabbi, someone told him, 
hey kid, you're not good enough. You don't have what it takes. You're not smart enough. We don't believe in you. Go back home and learn from your dad. Now, when I was praying with this, I just kept thinking about Matthew's heart. And I imagine that that must have been really hard. And at some point, maybe something shut down in his heart, and he said, all right, fine, if I'm not going to be able to do that, at least I'll, maybe I'll try and have power. I can control people, have influence. And someone in the Roman Empire says, hey, have you ever thought about being a tax collector? And he drifts into this world of sinfulness. Think about Simon and Andrew, James and John. They're in their late 20s when Jesus calls them. What are they doing when Jesus calls them? They're fishermen. These guys too, at some point in their life, someone told them, hey, Simon, Andrew, James, John, you don't have what it takes. You're not smart enough. I don't believe in you. Back to Bet Midrash. So the rabbi quizzes the student. He's quizzing the student. If he likes his answers, if he's impressed with his answers, you know what the rabbi would say to him? He would say, come follow me. Come follow me. And at that point, the student would begin to follow and live life with the rabbi. He wanted to understand the rabbi. He wanted to know what the rabbi knew and lived like the rabbi lived. Think about Jesus. Think about Jesus. He approaches these guys, these guys who have already been rejected, these guys who've already been told, you don't have what it takes, you're not smart enough, we don't believe in you. Jesus approaches those guys and says, follow me. Now if you're Matthew, if you've been rejected so many times already, if you've already been told throughout your entire life, you don't have what it takes, you're not smart enough, you're not good enough. If you're Matthew and if you're a tax collector, you're also thinking, I, I'm, I'm condemned I'm a sinner. No one is going to choose me. No one's going to love me. God is going to exclude me. God is going to reject me. And then here comes this guy and he says, follow me? If you're Matthew, like that moment changes everything. That moment changes everything. He's been chosen. Look, we don't need to raise hands right now, but like every single one of us Every single one of us desires to be chosen. Every single one of us desires in some level to be chosen, to be seen as special, to be seen as, yeah, to be singled out. Not to be made fun of, not to be put on a pedestal, not any of those things. I'm talking about someone recognizing your goodness. Like, do we not all have that desire for someone to see in you? I, I I want to be recognized for my goodness, to be chosen. And the enemy is always whispering in our hearts over and over and over again, you're not good enough. No one would ever choose you. Why would God choose you? Why would God work with you? Here's what I want us to see, friends, on this Feast of St. Matthew. God works with all. God works with the most unexpected instruments. God chooses the most unlikely people. He chooses, he chooses people. He chose people in the Bible who were murderers, who were thieves, who were outcasts. 
He works with those people. When Jesus comes along, he chooses people who were already rejected, people who were told, you don't have what it takes. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. And if you've ever heard that yourself, listen, that is a lie from the enemy. That is a lie. Jesus calls the unlikeliest people. He calls people who are sinners. He uses people who are sinners. He does incredible things with people who don't think much of themselves. I, I was praying this morning and I was, I was having a conversation with St. Matthew in my prayer in my, in my chapel upstairs. And I was asking him, what do you want to tell them? And he got this big smile in my prayer. I saw this big smile on his face. He said, tell them that they're choosing them too. He's choosing them too. He's saying to them, just like he said to me, come follow me. Come follow me. Friends, we don't have to wait until we're older to start following Jesus, to start walking this path, to start giving our life to him. I'm telling you, the sooner you do it, the more incredible your life will be. Don't wait. Don't wait. And don't think for some of the more mature hearts in the congregation this morning, don't think that you've messed up and you're disqualified. Don't think that you've screwed up too much and you're, you don't count anymore, that he doesn't see you anymore. You are never disqualified. No mistake is ever too grave. He calls us out from the greatest shame. That's where Matthew was. He was sitting in his greatest shame and it was then that he called him. In his greatest of shames, that's when he called him. Let's not forget that.